Welcome back to The Biggest Fan Pod, the podcast that hands over the mic to some of our favourite people in the world of football and invites their biggest fans to ask the questions we wouldn't know to. Brought to you by your gals at TFG. A special episode this week as we welcome two major players in the world of sport and music to the pod. Talking how she first got into DJing from her early days at Rinse FM to how she almost turned her back on football. International DJ, music producer and forward for Dulwich Hamlet FC, Monkey DJ, aka Lucy Monkman, is in the hot seat, whilst outspoken champion of women in sport, United fan and drummer from sports team, Al Greenwood, asks the questions. This episode is in proud partnership with White Claw. We hope you enjoy it. If you're liking what you're hearing from season one already, make sure you follow us so you never miss an episode. Hello, Monkey. How are you doing? Hi, mate. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, not too bad. Nice to see you back on the Zoom. I haven't seen you in ages. I know. It's not like (laughs) spent the whole afternoon in meetings together. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Well, before we jump into things, I guess uh, you should probably introduce yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm Lucy, or Monkey, to many of my friends and even my dad sometimes. Um, And I'm a DJ, I'm a producer. I play football for Dulwich Hamlet. FC, um, I dabble in a bit of A and R. I don't know what I do really, just do a bit of everything. <laughs> Ironically enough, um, when we were planning this interview, I had to ask Monkey if I was able to reveal her real name because uh, <laughs> I didn't know to what extent this was like classified information, and then got myself in quite a pickle. And so we'll probably alternate between the two in a, in a source of high stress. Um, but cool. So I guess. Um, where are you currently is another good sort of introductory question. So I'm in London at the moment in uh, lockdown life. I know you are the other side of England away from me. We haven't even been able to meet up in, uh, in South London yet, have we? Even though we're kind of neighbours. I know. Well, semi-neighbours. So I'm up in Leeds, back with the famille, which has been a mixed, mixed blessing. What's, um, what would you say is the best thing to come out of the last year for you? put things in a positive spin oh my goodness well what a year it's been for like well for everyone firstly and I guess on our level just for like artists and music travellers that we are um yeah the best thing to come out of this year I think it was slowing down I don't think I've ever slowed down so much definitely in the last 10 years I've always been on the go always been hopping on planes you know spend the winter in clubs and then summer comes around and it's festivals and it's um, festivals and Ibiza and things like that. So I think slowing down has probably been the biggest asset that I've taken away from this year. Because it's given me time to do things that I just felt like I didn't really have time for before and realise what's really important to me. And I met you, Al. So, you know. 100%. Well, what a highlight. Uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think as a musician... Uh, so my time was predominantly spent on the road drumming uh, for the band sports team. And I guess like the the, la- the loss of tours for me, I think the hardest thing was trying to regain that sense of like purpose and structure and yeah. kind of like, you know, what is your identity when you're removed from music and the life of like festivals and gigs that kind of like give that sense of like excitement and fulfillment yeah. I don't know about you but did you I definitely I felt like I definitely had like an identity crisis a hundred percent yeah and it's also just like you suddenly feel the need to like 
I felt like I needed like a weird hobby or like some real kind of like kooky element of my personality that people would be interested in now that I couldn't like get them into festivals. <laughs> did you did you say did you say up anything? Uh yeah yeah. Uh so what did we do? I found a yo-yo like a yo-yo from my childhood days. I was quite shit at that, so it didn't last long. Got really into cooking, uh, which I think was quite a lockdown. That's a good cliche, one. But yeah. Yeah, banana bread. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we quickly quickly uh, navigated away from the banana bread. We've been on to, you know, quite intense foes and sort of, you know, <laughs> sushi making and all the foofiness. But um, no, I guess it's just a weird experience, isn't it? Like being forced to stop in a world and a profession where like it's kind of a treadmill yeah I think yeah definitely because I definitely saw myself slowing down eventually and I wasn't one of those people that was like I want to tour until I'm 50 like I knew that even at a young age but I think for it to get it taken away from you but not on your own terms was like a different kind of thing that you had to deal with 100% and can you remember like where you were when you first found out that you know things were actually going to stop and yeah so initially when when the sort of the news was coming out that people weren't taking it too seriously and people were still traveling still traveling to work I was on the way to America to go on tour um so I got on the plane and I do remember thinking I don't know I don't know about this and what like when it was all kicking off no like you could we weren't in like we weren't anywhere near lockdown I think it was February February time right um and I went to the States and as I was in the States, it was sort of gradually getting worse. Um, and one of my last shows was in LA. And I think typically at that time, LA was, wasn't in a, in a great way. And then I had to come home for a week in between my tour and I planned to come home and play a Crystal Palace match. That's, you know, literally the reasons I was coming home <laughs> was, to, was, to, was to see my partner and play Crystal Palace. Um, and in that, week it went from or oh, I think maybe a few shows might be off to okay the first like the first two shows are off and then by the end of the week it was just like the whole tour's off so it escalated I think so fast that's the thing as well isn't it because you saying that you were going to America last February sounds surreal but With, you forget how quickly it all kind of just spiraled and like yeah I mean thinking about the sense of having things just ripped out from underneath you and like the rug just taken from you know under your feet particularly when you talk about that sense of trying to redefine you know your structure and identity it's not as though there was a long period of kind of like coming to accept that yeah I know we were going back and forth we're like well, what's your agent saying what's your agent saying because we were just trying to figure out like what was going to happen and we just had no idea yeah and I did go through a very Zoolander like who am I a hundred percent well I remember we were like bringing out the album and we were like yeah we'll push it for like a couple of weeks be fine like we'll obviously still do the tour because it was we were originally meant to be doing a tour in like April mm-hmm. and then our agent was like yeah we'll look at July and I was like July like we're not gonna have to wait <laughs> that long oh how we laughed oh <laughs> cool so to rewind a bit I guess like you introed very quickly all of the many facets of your kind of jack of all trades master of all trades perhaps mm. more more legitimately put um do you, how do you balance all of your different roles and sort of what skill sets do you think they sort of require and are they complementary how does it all work yeah I think well initially for a long time it was mainly like broadcasting and DJing is what I did was like my bread and butter from the age of sort of 17 um and then a couple of years ago 
I really started to get into sort of sports media stuff and that came about because I started playing football again at the age of 22 I'd stopped I stopped for like a good eight years and I was like god I just miss it so much I miss the sports element of my life so much I miss playing I miss the community I missed being in a um, freezing cold changing room on a Sunday maybe slightly hungover but I just really really missed it um, and when the opportunity came around to be like you know what maybe you know broadcasting presenting there's a lot of overlap here these are skills that I can transfer over to sports media but I just don't think it really occurred to me when I was younger because it in all honesty, I think I was just too busy in the whirlwind that is like being a DJ and also being in your early 20s. Um, and also as you get older, you get a little bit more confident. You're like, yeah, I could, I could do that. Um, so it was just before the Women's World Cup in France. So 2019, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a crack. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be in France next year. I'm going to be working. Um, so that's how it that's And, when, how it and when you say sports media, what, what do you mean by that? So the first thing I did was a, was a podcast called Inside Out uh, for Copa 19. Myself and my friend Heath Pierce, we went to live in France for five weeks and we presented a daily podcast on the Women's World Cup in France and the sort of story surrounding the players as well. Um, so that was the first sort of bit, big bit of work that I did. And then I've gone on to sort of present for the Lionesses, do some stuff for them, um, present uh, recently. It was like a, it was a, it was a really fun collaboration actually so it's defected records which is the record label that i do a radio show for who predominantly house music uh teamed up with heineken to sort of do their launch party for when you the uefa and champions league returned um in the summer they i think heineken had like the rights to do a party but never done it so we were kind of like well let us do it and you know we'll do it virtually so we did it over eight hours like eight djs all across the world idris elbow was one of them um, in Amsterdam, I did a set in Lisbon and um, I presented the whole thing through that. So for me, I think essentially it's just if I can make my hobbies and my passions, my work, that is like the best thing in the world. There's nothing really bad. There's nothing, you, you have to work unless you're like very, very privileged. So if you're going to do it, like you might as well love it. Amazing. And like, I mean, you say that as though it just kind of happens, you know, it's like, oh yeah, and then we did this and then I was doing this and we organised this. But like, I imagine that process was tough and there was learnings. And what do you think looking back, like what were the highs and lows of, for example, the Heineken project? Like I've seen the pictures of you, like, you know, on the pitch side, just what what was that experience? <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It's, it's funny because I actually don't find myself as like a natural presenter, I guess. So what you don't really see is me trying to learn a bunch of lines behind the camera over and over and over again. I usually find myself quite tongue-tied and I probably say like probably a little bit too much, which you will probably hear in this uh, podcast. That's um, another crime of mine as well, actually. Yeah, but again, like, see, there you go. You, um, <laughs> you, you sort of dabbled in like writing for sports, um, publications and stuff and I don't I don't know was that anything is that something that you set out to do or is it something you just like end up doing or no I think like on reflection it kind of does come back to the thing of for me at least it's it is related to trying to find that sense of purpose and identity and self and like uh 
Salon, who is our other friend who you know, uh, lent me a book recently. And like, it's all about like the stories you tell yourself about your life that then enable you to find meaning. And like, I feel like that just is so kind of like true for everything that I've done in the last year and all of the, the like experience of lockdown for me is like that sense of like trying to, I guess, embellish a story about like what the hell you do with your day. Yeah, I think over time for me, it's become sort of touching what you just said, which is quite similar. It's, I've almost become more concentrated, concentrated more on what my work is about and how it makes me feel and how it makes other people feel on the message that I'm trying to put out there rather than when I was younger, I was kind of just on this trailblazing thing to be ambitious, you know what I mean? Mm. And certain goals that I met at a a young age, like joining Radio 1, for example, that was my goal. Like, that's what I wanted to do when when I got there and made it. And it was great, but in a sense, it was almost half half empty. Because the meaning behind me getting there, I'm not quite sure it was. I think it was just to like prove a point, you know? And I don't think that actually means anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. And you talk about like that thing about connection and connecting with people. Do you think that that's something that potentially links your different, all the hats that you wear, I guess, between broadcasting and, you know, DJing and creating music? Yeah, well, I never thought about it like that, but I guess it, I guess it does. I think that is the thing that we have missed most in lockdown is connection with people. Um, I'm a big fan of like my mates, love my mates, love hanging out with my mates, um, and I've just really, really missed, really missed them. And I think music and sport essentially is just about as corny as it sounds, you know, bringing people together, being part of that community, being part of the crowd and what that feels like to all be there for one reason. Um, And it's something that everyone has missed dramatically, I think, in the last year. So roll on summer, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. Yes, please. I know that it's, uh, it's stuff that we've chatted about in the past, though, in terms of like, yeah, what it is that you miss in lockdown and that sense of connection. I remember you talking about, um, like Londoners in the first lockdown and noticing people just saying hi to strangers in the park and being like, what's going on? And it is that sense of like, just complete needing to find that in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Yeah. I was running, sort of was jogging quite a lot in the first lockdown and um, yeah, I just noticed people like, good morning. And I was like, okay, good morning. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this is very strange. (laughs) yeah madness and so yeah okay you touch upon just to jump around in your life history but it's a bit of a a fun drop in like yeah when I got to radio one like yeah how how does one get to radio one and what was the you know you talked about being like a milestone like how do you go from being a dj like playing in a club to having a show on radio one or like (laughs) even having that on your radar Oh my god, I don't even know. It's funny because there's not, there's not like, um, there's no, there's no special way to go about it. Everyone has a completely different journey. I think mine was, um, I was, I left, I left college at sixteen, and I went to a little music uh, college in Hackney called Point Blank, which specialises in sort of electronic music production. And I studied radio production because essentially I knew nothing about broadcasting 
all I knew was I loved radio, I loved electronic music, and I heard Annie Mack one night, and I was like, oh, well, she's doing it, so I could probably do it as well. Um, so I kind of set about just getting to know people. I think that was my first thing. I didn't know anyone in the industry, and I really wanted to learn and get to know people, and eventually I ended up at what was a pirate station called Rinks FM, which is now a community station. Um, at a really key time in their history, which I'm so grateful I was a part of, because I look back at that time and I'm just like, what a fucking crazy place to be. It was sort of like the emergence of when dubstep got really big and KTB became a pop star and Magnetic Man launched an album and all these people from the underground basically became superstars overnight. And I was just like this 17 year old kid in the studio and soak it up and buying champagne when we won a license and things like that. It was just <laughs> fucking bonkers. Crazy. Amazing. And then, so from that point on, you knew that you wanted to do radio as well and you just built a cat. Like how does, how do you yeah. progress from there? So I, I got, um, I got a job there first of all, got an internship there and then I hung around long enough. They gave me a job. Um, and I, they kind of knew that I wanted to be on air, but I was too shy to ask. Um, and one day someone was ill and they needed someone to fill in. And so I just, I just jumped in at the first opportunity and I was, I was 18 then. Um, and then I stayed there for a few years and, you know, the DJ community in London is very small, especially if you're just talking about electronic arts music. Um, so I got to know a lot of people, got to know a few people at Radio One and they sort of scouted me out, listened to my shows and rinse. And I went into, they basically put you into a booth in Radio One and they made you do a, like a pilot show, a show. And then they sort of like, they let, let you wait. And then one day you literally just get like a phone call. And they're like, yeah, cool, you've got a show. I'm like, fantastic. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I remember getting the phone call and where I was. I was in, um, I was in uh, uh, Gatwick Airport or something on the, on the way to go on holiday. And I was in WH Smith and I got so excited. I just ran out of WH Smith and I got to the plane and realised that I just nicked loads of like magazines and sweets <laughs> and stuff. And I, didn't, I was just so excited to like tell my manager and call her up. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun journey. It was an interesting journey. And then the six years there were really, really good. I'm really grateful for them. But um, I think it's even, it's really, been really, really exciting since I left as well. So. Brilliant. And were you playing, so you weren't playing any sport at that point? Yeah, I... My, most of my time at Radio 1, I wasn't, I wasn't really playing sport. It was more towards the end. Um, this is so fascinating for me because in my mind, there's no, there's no you without football. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or running or being generally just fitness mad. So how, I guess, yeah, tell me about how you first fell out of love with sport or came to kind of stop playing it. And then what was it that, what was the catalyst that got you back into it to now being, you know, Dulwich Hamlet first team, just dizzy heights <laughs> yeah um football was always my first love when i was a kid i always wanted to play football thierry Henry was my hero i had posters of him on the wall freddie lumber with the red hair Vieira, like i just i loved it i played all the time and i guess that was like the glory days of wenger right yeah oh yeah yeah exactly yeah. we were invincible and mm. yeah we're far from that now which gets out but I can, uh, I can still live in that sort of dream stage. Um, yeah, it's best to kind of stick around there as an Arsenal fan. Are you a United? I know, mate. Uh, wait, you're a United, United fan. Why aren't you a Leeds fan? Because my dad's from Manchester. He's got a season ticket. My grand, okay, you know, whole family there. I always have to justify that, but, <laughs> you know, that's fine. And also, to be fair, 
growing up in Leeds, it's definitely not an easy option to be a United fan. So I'll hold on to that. <laughs> oh no, we need to go to an actual United Arsenal game when we're allowed. I know, and that'll be so fun these days because Arsenal aren't even big six anymore, are they? I'm silly. <laughs> I was like, I think my headphones cut though. <laughs> Um, Sorry, you were saying though, you grew up back in the glory days. And... Yeah, so I was obsessed with football. I love football. That's all I do, you know, play football with my mates in the street. My best mate, um, when I was a kid, his name's Russ. He, he works in football now, but he basically, I, I, I lined up. You know, when you're a kid and you see people line up against the wall, each person picks a player like that, when you're like eight or ten or something. I saw the boys do that one day and I was like, I'm, just, I'm gonna go line up. So I lined up, and my my he wasn't my best friend at the time, but he became my best friend. My, my mate Russ, he picked me, and I was like, okay, cool. I'm part of like, I'm part of one team. But he was the captain, so he was like sick, and he was a very sick for footballer. In my head, I thought I'd see him on TV playing for England when I was young. <laughs> um, so that was just like my life when I was a kid. I just loved it, and then I fell out of love with it because. Essentially, it's what I wanted to. It's what I wanted to do for a career. It's what I wanted to do when I grew up. And you got to an age, and you realise that this not doesn't even exist. It's not even a thing. Um, mm. So I felt really disheartened and really sad about it. And I, I almost just thought, well, you know, why am I, you know, why am I playing? I'll play for fun. But apart from that, like, I felt really let down. I guess. Like I went yeah. to. I went to. Um, few academies and, and stuff like that and um, I remember getting a letter from like the Chelsea School of Excellence and my mates at school not believing me so I brought in the letter when I was 11 <laughs> I was like look <laughs> um, so I went to a few academies and stuff but I didn't actually find it a, a really friendly place at the time it was it was the first time I experienced racism um, which at 11 is a really weird thing to sort of digest um and so I just distanced myself away from it and, and I just played in the park with my mates and then you know being much older I realized that I really missed that and I also just got really wrapped up in the in the music world as well mm. and I guess it's so devastating to hear that and my initial th- thought was without wishing to take this down a really pessimistic route but I was chatting to a professional player today in the women's game and she was talking about how basically you make a sacrifice like as a woman it's not the same as the men's game in the like obviously sorry in the men's game the probability that you're going to be a superstar is slim but like Mm. she was saying that she makes playing for a WSL team uh, the same amount as like men who play Saturday league like she still needs a second job yeah and the reality is like just as a career option, the only reason you'd possibly do it is like pure passion. And I, yeah. like, I completely understand you're like just getting disheartened and falling out of love with something. And it's just so depressing to think that there isn't the same reward basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I think, I think if, if the, obviously the, the disparity is huge in terms of money and stuff, but if Dulwich Hamlet were playing at the same level, as the men's, if it was like equivalent, do you know what I mean? We'd, mm. be, we'd be getting paid essentially. So y- you can play football at much lower levels and earn an okay income in comparison mm. to, you know, in comparison to the women's game. It's just unless you're in the WSL and probably in the top half of that, it's it's not easy. 
Yeah, and also now in the WSL, of course, you just see a massive gulf between like the teams at the top for whom those women don't need a second job and therefore like the disparity means that the kind of quality as a viewer is diminished massively because you've just got such great discrepancies between the teams. Yeah, before Dulwich actually, I did go for a went for um, a trial at London Bees, and uh, they were like, "Yeah, you know, went to a couple of trials." They were like, "Yeah, come along, you know, get you signed up." You'd have to obviously work your way into the reserves first, and then see if you can get into the first team, or whatever. So went to a few training sessions, and I just was like, I, even at, at you know at that level, not even in the reserves team yet, I was like, this is such a massive commitment. It's so huge, yeah. and, and I was like, in reality, I just I don't have time for it as well because of my career. So I, I basically, I was like, I, I'm, I really appreciate it, and I'm so happy that I came and tried out, but I just I can't commit to this this amount of time. And you know, there are girls there that are committing so much time, and it, it is because they love it essentially. But um, yeah. at the same time, then, it's, it's massive. And then the other thing for those girls is that like, there's no pension. Do you know what I mean? It's like <sighs> as soon as you can't you, you you know you're physically not able to play anymore it's like that's it cheers yeah like good yeah. luck with the next 50 years of your life kind of thing but anyway without wishing to get down that slightly <laughs> pessimistic route we have seen a massive rise in women's football and I think like there's so much to be excited about um yeah. so going back to your journey I mean you mentioned like what what led you to get back into what why did you go to that trial basically um yeah I, I think because Actually, when I was younger, I always felt my calling was to play sport. I, I always felt that. Like, I didn't actually think my calling was music at all. It's something that I fell into sort of in my late teens. And I was like, I, I really enjoy this too. And I don't really see myself working in, a, in an office or in a suit. So let's give this a crap. Um, so I, I, I just came back to it really naturally. It's something where it's a place where I feel most comfortable. It's where I feel my, most myself and where... A place where I feel like I can express myself really freely is playing sport, um, and so naturally I just went back to it, and I just you know I just started playing five aside a little bit, and then I joined an eleven aside team, and then I joined a team called AFC Phoenix, which eventually became Dulwich Hamlet, and I got interested and involved a lot more in the community side of things, and also sort of how the club works and being part of the, the committee, and essentially me and a few other um, senior players uh, went to Dulwich Hammer FC and were like, let's, you know, let's merge. Let's, because I, I, I want to be able to join a football club and when I leave it, it's a much better place for women and for young girls. Mm. And I think that was part of the, the move that I wanted to help with. And what do you think? I mean, this is a difficult potentially psychoanalytical question, but <laughs> like, when you talk about yourself, you're incredibly um, humble which is obviously a great quality, but knowing you, like you've done all of this, you've got an international music career as an incredibly successful DJ. You've set up your own record label and you play like effectively semi-professional football. What drives you? What makes you get out of bed in the morning? Fun. <laughs> I just like to have fun. Um, yeah, I just, I just want to be able to enjoy every day. I don't want to. I don't want to look back and be like, "Man, I really wish I did that thing." Or, "Wow, I've, I've got this. I've got this Porsche outside, but you know, 
I don't have a Porsche, by the way. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen the but, portrait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I feel really empty, or I didn't, I didn't make a move on that dream that I had, or so I don't know. What, I don't know what drives me. Go on, go on. And- well, I, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but it has to be it. Like you are, <laughs> it's more than that because it's not like you're out, like you know, just going to the pub every day. Like that would be fun. Yeah. There's something about you, at least in the way that I perceive you. Like, I mean, let's talk about the ultra marathon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm training for an ultra marathon. And it's, so, what yeah. what led? Like, what made you think? Do you know what? I've never done a marathon, but I fancy myself for an ultra. That was my girlfriend. That, that's, this is my girlfriend's fault. That's not my. That's not me. Right. <laughs> it, is, it is partly me, but it is. That was a collaborative effort of um, craziness. Was it just trying to one up one another? Was it like I think <laughs> I'm going to do a marathon? It was like yeah, sure. No, I think we've always been really like adventurous people. We love travelling. Um, and oh me too mate that I'm not doing <laughs> ultra. And we love adventure, and we also like love. Oh, well, you listened to a podcast earlier today, for example, just like really interested in people pushing themselves up physically and mentally. And me also trying to do that on, you know, everyone has different scales, but I guess for me, that's, and for my, my partner, like that was something that we've always wanted to try and do. I've got to be honest, if we complete it, not sure if I'll do it ever again. We'll see how it goes. The training is brutal. I thought that was going to be a way bigger confession there, Luz. I've got to be honest. No intention. No intention. (laughs) Absolutely not. We're just doing the trainings. We're just talking about it loads. And um, yeah, no one's going to ask. But yeah. But I mean, another another little kind of gem which always comes to mind if someone was to ask me to sum you up was the, um, and again, this is so currently in lockdown with our other friends, Salon, and um, we kind of like, you know, do our little pathetic weight sessions in the morning and we're like, what would Lucy do? And um, you telling us about the cold showers was yeah. quite a life-changing. In terms of that thing where you're like, I could be as good as that person. And then you're like, do you know what? I'm going to sit down now because I, the two-minute timed cold shower every morning. You tried it, didn't you? Uh, I tried it once and now I, can, now I do like five seconds at the end of the shower and as soon as I lose my breath, I... Yeah, explain it, please. That's, so it, I started doing that in the middle of the first lockdown last year. And, um, and initially it was like, a, it came from Wim Hof, which is like breathing exercises, which I started doing around the similar time. What? Wim Hof. Wim Hof. It's basically Wim Hof. This crazy guy. He's not crazy, but he seems a bit crazy. And he really he basically talks you through like two minute breathing exercises and it's supposed to help with like anxiety and like, dealing with stressful situations and stuff like that. And as you can imagine in that period of the first lockdown, I was very anxious, extremely stressed. So I would take anything out of my grass. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, breathe. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So from that, I also found out about cold showers, which is what he does as well, which is, a similar sort of thing. So, it's- and do you combine the two? Because this was my thing. When I when it gets that cold, I literally can't breathe. Yeah, so I combine the two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, see, I you told me about the shower. You didn't tell me about the breathing. Yeah, sorry, mate. So yeah. I was just hyperventilating. Putting <laughs> yeah. out an SOS. <laughs> yeah. I should have given you a heads okay. up. 
you could have done yeah you could have done um i've done like such a poor job of reading these um amazing questions that <laughs> you know we'd so lovingly prepared um but i guess the things that we haven't touched on or that we haven't explored in depth that i think would be really great to kind of just touch on if we have time is um that connection between music and sport and i guess yeah. like what do you think it is that kind of marries the two for you and your world and i guess you know we could maybe just do a little cheeky plug to you know the stuff that we've come to set up this year yeah so i think we had a conversation about what connects music and sport and also what connects us personally with music and sport and i think we spoke quite in depth about that connection with people like i spoke about earlier and how music and sport do a similar thing and there's something about standing with a lot of people and all moving together or all cheering for the same thing that is you can't you can't really express it in words because it's a feeling and you can't replicate that in any really other way except for being there so naturally we are both drawn to those things um which is kind of how we met through salon through through sport and through music both loves and passions that salon shares as well and is also why we've gone off also because we have a lot of time on our hands now um and sort of set up this new venture that is our baby and brainchild but not really real thing yet <laughs> very much a brainchild yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. Do we, are we allowed to like? Are we allowed to like say it out loud? I think we can just be really quick, uh, really shameless. Yeah, let's just say it out loud. Yeah. So um, it's called In Motion, guys. That's what we've named it. Uh, and essentially, we want it to sort of reimagine the idea of exercise to to make it more inclusive and to celebrate it in a different way, I guess. 100% what you said is in terms of my kind of journey to it it was like I've always followed football always kind of like played football quite casually um started running like two years ago I say running jogging is probably a more apt kind of description like you literally close. ran you ran 18k today you're like underselling yourself come on but it's like I'm getting overtaken by the OAPs and it but it's fine <laughs> I, I, and this is the point isn't it it's like I would never ever follow like a fitness podcast or if somebody started talking about any form of exercise they were doing I don't think oh that sounds great and like really positive I feel like stressed and oppressed and like suddenly lesser than what they're doing mm -hmm. which is why you shouldn't share how far you're running um <laughs> but that, and and so it's absolutely ridiculous that for me throughout lockdown running is literally what got me through and i do it every single day and yet i still felt alienated from conversations around it and i still and you look at like the national statistics about the amount of girls who are disengaged from exercise and aren't doing activities or anything and you think well what's going on there because everybody's got a personal relationship to moving and actually when we think about the things that make us feel great for me it's like drumming playing football like dancing around the kitchen do you know what I mean it's like that yeah. is actually what makes me feel joyful and where's the disconnect come between that and like conversations about Strava which make me just feel so stressed <laughs> and like hate myself yeah so i guess well, there's, there's like... also that empowerment thing as well because like what you just said you're like oh I, I go jogging it's like no out 
you're, you're a runner, you run, but we're almost like a bit embarrassed to say it because we're constantly comparing ourselves to each other essentially and you know what is on Strava and stuff and you know I've got my you know, friends they're like yeah I'll go go down to the Lido sometimes do a few laps I can I'm rubbish with it you're like that you're a swimmer you don't go down to the Lido you, know, you should have that confidence to be like yeah I run or yeah I swim yeah and I think that that's for like that was kind of what what initially motivated the whole conversation wasn't it it was like why is it that people feel like that? And how do yeah. you change the narrative around that? And specifically for women, like what is the difference? And why is it that if you live in London and you're a bloke, you're probably going to be on a five-a-side team. Or if you wanted to join one, you could pick up your phone and find like multiple options. But yeah. whereas for girls and women, it's so much more of a, oh, wow, you play football. Oh, that's such a cool, like quirky it's thing so that you're weird. doing. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Like that, that that's a whole entire conversation that we have. Like it's very strange. Yeah. I don't know. And so yeah, I guess that's another nice positive outcome of the old uh, the time in lockdown. Um cool. So as a final question to wrap up, yeah. um, you know, we've spoken about some of the more depressing areas of like the world, um, lockdown, <laughs> women's football. But we've also touched on some of the exciting bits, some of the positives. And I guess like the period of lockdown has been such a, um, I guess, such a pause, like for for you and I, I know as musicians, but for so many people around the world for different reasons. Um, And so looking to the future and like as summer emerges and we kind of grown towards what looks like it could be normal life, like what are you... What are you taking from this period? What are you kind of most excited about? And then I guess, what's your perfect June 21st? Oh, okay. So I think what I've taken from this period is how important time is. I think time is so important and how you use it. Um, I think what am I most looking forward to? Or what is my most ideal June 21st? Oh my goodness. Okay, this is, I'm going to set a scene for you. So, we were allowed to return to football. Probably not going to happen, but I'm just putting it out there. It's the last last game of the season. We need to win. We're at home at Champion Hill. We're 1-0 down. We come back 3-1. Last, you know, two last-minute goals. 80th. Love that. I love that you, you, you don't want the clean sheet. You want the thrill. <laughs> No, I want the thrill, mate. I want the screams. I want, I want, I've always wanted to slide on my knees and I've never done it. You should so, be a Man United fan, Luke. <laughs> so just that. And then we go to the pub and we have a lovely time. Um, and then probably pop up some, pop, pop up some tunes. I'll probably do the cheeky set. And then Arsenal make it into the top four because that's all I can hope for now. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Brilliant. What about well, you? Thank you? What about you? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, do you know what? As you were saying yours, I was like, God, I'm really glad I don't have to answer this question because I did not have anything. <laughs> no, my June 21st, okay, like it's Derby Day, step off the train at Piccadilly, hop into the Bull's Head, they've got the buffet on, it's free sausage sarnies all round, rush to the stadium, minutes late. Um, yeah, United play an absolute blinder. Um, you know, it's absolutely kicking off in the stands. Everyone's going wild. Last minute winner. To be honest, the Derby game I went to last season with Luke Shaw's last minute goal, like I'd take that. That's one. And everyone's into town and somehow sports team playing, just headlining a festival in Manchester. <laughs> everyone's there. Everyone's kicking off. And then, yeah, we DJ because 
I'm, I'm not the most effective DJ, but I um, I do love it. So yeah, probably as long as, you, laugh to party. as long as you got bangers, that's all that matters. Well, you see, I have got bangers, but I also have like an addiction to going vicker, 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 which like Ooh. I find really fun. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, maybe I mean that was the early stages. Now it's progressed to like the filter effects. Oh, that's you know, good. Kind of like you know you sub out for you know the and then the chorus comes and like I'm sure it's going you know it's kicking off. But um, Ollie, who we tend to DJ with, wouldn't agree. The worst one is is when you're mixing in your headphones, right? And it's really popping off in your headphones, and then you realise the other channel's not up. No one can hear what you're listening <laughs> to. Headphones. You're just like having it. And you look up yeah, and but, no one's having it. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes, you know, you just got to live for yourself, you know? Like, as long as you're loving it, you know, somebody is. Exactly. All right, I'll give you some lessons when we're, when we're allowed back. Deal, deal. I'll take those. Please, Holly will be chuffed. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Luz, and to this fangirl for having us blabber on. Yeah, thanks, um, guys. And, yeah, I look forward to June 21st and, um, you know, life beyond. <laughs> <laughs>